Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strife's Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife, and this week I'm diving back to Remnant for another episode about Ruby. Last time we talked about Ruby was either earlier this year or late last year when I caught Ruby Ice Queendom, and I admitted that the first foray into an anime adaptation didn't really suit the the vibe of the show, or at least it did for when it was retelling footage from the first early seasons and then really kind of died when it was trying to tell its own story. So, this time it was getting back to the storyline by the people making it. And this was, by most counts, a rebound for a lot of people. And there are a few good things and very few bad things about this volume. Um, a couple of people that I know that were super fans that kind of jumped off the bandwagon, kind of jumped back on, because going from, you know, season three onward, things got super serious, and a lot of it was about telling the story, and not really much of the characters and what they were going through outside of some instances, I think. Um, but again, you're dealing with the Salem situation and you're trying to build, you know, a vast world of remnant and going to these schools and doing all this crazy stuff to further the machinations of Salem. And also, you know, in volume six, trying to say what she was. And then seven and eight, which I thought were the best ones were, you know, the Atlas, arc but at the end of volume eight they fall off the bridges that they were creating to get to vacuo or vacuo excuse me and neo fell alongside them because cinder is a dick and said no you're you're useless so that was fun so the main four protagonist jean and neo fell off and ended up in this place and the footage at the end of Volume 8 was Ruby's weapon just floating in the on a beach somewhere. So there was a lot of weirdness going on about what this volume would be. And then it really hit home in the first episode what it was trying to do. And I think it succeeded in a way that Ruby hadn't done for a while. In It was focusing on the main four characters, and specifically Ruby again. Because this is about her. Um, one of the main issues I've had with with Ruby since, you know, the first couple of seasons is that the characters have rounded out so much that, you know, after, say, Volume 4, Volume 5, once they got separated and then returned back to normal, they kind of, like, became everything. Like, they weren't... They weren't specific characters anymore. You got a lot of stuff with Vi with Weiss and Atlas, obviously, but other than that, everybody was just kind of like, "Yeah, we're heroes, we're huntsmen and huntresses, huntresses," and you know, everybody has their own side stories that you need. But they weren't like, "She's the happy-go-lucky one. She's the Yang. Let's fight," you know, that sort of thing. The the archetypes of who they were obviously they've rounded themselves out but they haven't really explored who they are for the longest time this was a chance to do that 
but to do it in a sort of Alice in Wonderland environment called the Ever After. So they get to go through different experiences and crazy stuff. And a lot of it is, you know, Alice in Wonderland weird shit. But you get to see them interacting with this world, but also getting to interact with Neo on occasion because Neo has her own motives and she's still after Ruby. So that adds another layer to it. A lot of it has to do with Ruby's uh, uncertainty about everything that she's doing because she's seen Atlas fall. She's seen um, the other two cities fall. She's just knowing that what can she do? Is she going to fall to nothing? Is she just going to give up? And then you have the other characters trying to, you know, stop her from feeling bad, but then she just lashes out at them. Then you have Jean who got there before them in a, in, cause time doesn't really mean anything in that world. So the idea is that he showed up early, became this like protector of this little village of things that could or could not protect themselves. And he just kind of went stir crazy and became something known as the rusted knight. It reminded me of like, um, Raiden from, Metal Gear Solid, he turned from like a kind of a not wussy, but very like meandering and not just, eh, you know, how how would I describe it? Not weak willed, but also kind of eh, eh, squirrely. That's the best word I would put squirrely sounding dude, because that's what Jean's whole entire thing is. And even in the later volumes, there's only so much Jean can do. He's better, but they weren't, like, flipping the badass switch. This was the time they flipped the badass switch because they had the opportunity to do so. And at least for this volume, he, you know, and the voice actor just said, yeah, we're we're going full bore into this and we're going to try it. And it's not even that he went badass. It's that he looks different. He feels different. He went older. He's just, like, sort of nuts somewhat but he goes stir crazy about being a protector because that's what he knows that's what he's trying to find his way and again a lot of it has to be finding their own way in things weiss kind of fits into the background of this there's not a lot that she adds blake and yang um they've been kind of steering a little bit for a while and something that they were building towards for the last three or four seasons has finally come to fruition in that they finally fell for each other. I mean, it was kind of obvious, but they built it and built it and built it, and they finally said, yeah, this is going to be the time that we're going to go for it, and it felt like it was right. It felt like you didn't want to leave that kind of dangling plot thread just sitting there, and they just said, yeah, we're just going to go with it, and it works. And and again, a lot of this works fine because it was something they were building to. They make a big enough deal about it, and actually it leads into Ruby's character arc, because she lashes out at them for finding their own solace when she has none of herself because she is thinking like she let everybody down and now a lot of people are either dead or stuck. And she basically goes off the deep end. So a lot of like little machinations earlier about the Ever After world and the story that they are the they're retelling a story from the perspective of someone known as Alex who was in the Ever After, 
There is there's this Cheshire cat looking thing known as the Curious Cat. What is he doing? Uh, props to the Curious Cat for being voiced by uh, Robbie Draymond or Robbie Damon. I forget how he pronounces it, but basically a catchy from Persona Five. I was like, uh, prop, <laughs> perfect casting. You're going to you're going to get a guy who just is smarmy, is effectual, and just mischievous and just a dick the entire time. Yeah. He's got the proper voice for that sort of thing, and it was perfect. They also got Lucy Christian to be this, like, little nice rat. Legitimately, this talking rat that follows him around, known as Little Lev, is great, because I haven't heard Lucy's voice in tons of stuff, because I think she went to Sentai Filmworks, and I don't really follow them as much as I used to. Um, but she's in stuff like Funimation, you know, Full Metal Alchemist and Elf and Lead and all that stuff. Um, so I haven't heard her in forever. So it was a neat touch. So again, Rooster Teeth knows what it's doing. It works with good actors and knows what it's doing. Anyway, um, but this curious cat's following them around, showing them how to do things and little variances on how the, the Alice in the Wonderland trick work, figuring out Jean's mechanics midway through the season and what he's going through and dealing with his annoyances. Later on, we start seeing these building, budding situations about Neo fucking around with these super powerful beings like Jabberwocks and making them subservient or just scared shitless. Because again, she is kind of nuts. And it's late until, it's very late in the season where Ruby's starting to get really antsy about what's going on with her and starting to feel self-doubt the best scene of the scene uh, the best episode of the season by far and again neo is the best character in this franchise don't let anybody tell you different neo is great um she gets an episode to herself and she gets to use that against ruby which is perfect because she's had that issue with ruby uh killing roman torchwick since volume two and you knew something was going to come to a head eventually. And what they do is really cool. They have her post manifestations of pre previous characters. They bring back some of the voice actors. They even get uh, Billy Kamitz in one of his last roles before he passed away to take over as Torchwick. So they had Kamitz, who was originally going to play Torchwick in Queendom before he suffered from cancer they get the guy who replaced him christopher waycamp who i've talked about in other shows so they actually kind of go back and forth it's one of those weird things where you hear him and then you hear a different voice and then you hear him and you hear a different voice because through neat like through those manifestations neo's messing with her the entire time she's wanting her to get poisoned so the idea is she Ruby is alone with all of these people giving her self-doubt. It's like the mysterious Spider-Man kind of thing where it's just messing with you the entire time through different voices and different manifestations. Look at the look at the pain you've caused all of these people every single volume. Think of what you've done to me. You fought and killed me or you killed somebody that was close to me. And it was very effective, and she messes with her, and then realizes, was this worth it? Neo ends up realizing, was this worth it? She just sits there, and of course, there's an ambulance coming by. I'm trying to record at 5.30 in the morning. Can I not have these things happen? Anyway, um, but um, 
<laughs> but yes. So Neo goes through this emotional situation where she got what she wanted and it didn't really help. Because the idea was she got her revenge in some sort of way. Ruby was taken out. But did that solve her problem? Did what Neo got really feel worth it? And it just felt like she had nothing left to do now that her main her main anger and resentment and guilt and annoyance is gone. What now? And the cat comes in and says, I got you. I'll just use you. Because his entire thing for the for the whatever was trying to get out of this fucking hellhole wasteland of an of an Alice in Wonderland thing. So he tries to use Neo to beat up the party and run out into the real world. Um, another mechanic at play was using your self-doubt and trying to like turn into a better person. So people who don't want to leave just yet kind of put themselves in stasis and then try to rebuild as a better person. Um, so another character shows up sort of like a blacksmith slash fortune teller kind of lady entity and says to Ruby, like, it's what you want to do and you want what you're looking for. And then she picks up her own weapon and says, okay, I have what I have. There's only so much I can do. And the message is being, having guilt and having problems and having all this is fine, but there's only so much that you can do. You still have to shoulder the burden and better yourself you know with the time that you have left being scared is reasonable but at some point you just have to take responsibility and do what you can so ruby escapes her weird uh mental prison that she was encased in and survives and the cheshire cat gets blown to shit and neo is left not dead thank god because I don't think the fandom could handle it if they got rid of Neo. And trust me on this one. Neo is the most popular character by miles. And you're not getting rid of her without people saying, nope, fuck this. I don't give a shit. I mean, maybe like the final season. But even then, I think I think Neo is going to be like one of those situations like you do this. It better be near the end because fuck you. Anyway, so Neo is in stasis. And I get the feeling she'll be back in a season or two, which is fine because Neo did a lot in what little time she had in the season and they pushed her story forward. They pushed, they didn't make, they didn't make movement in the storyline. They didn't make movement in the Salem stuff. They didn't make, because this is a lot like volume six and volume four where they're kind of just going to the place to set up more characters to do the thing. But this was done in a different way. They weren't traveling to Vacuo. They were traveling in amongst themselves, trying to better themselves. And like I said, I think Weiss kind of stayed where she's going to stay. Blake and Yang got where they need to be. You know, they covered that story arc, and now they're officially a couple, which is a neat touch. Ruby got some sort of closure that she needed because again she's been kind of in this like lurch of responsibility versus guilt over everything she's done and they didn't focus on anybody else jean got a little bit 
but they had him man up and realize that he was kind of fucked up. So they focused on the five and six characters that they needed to built the world around them to occur before they needed to get back to the Salem stuff to get back to vacuo and get back to the uh, artifacts and saving those. So Ruby is like what, three, four seasons to go realistically, and then it's done. Right. But you needed something like volume nine to kind of reset the board a little bit you need those things sometimes i've said this in some animes where you need those episodes where it doesn't seem like anything's happening but you're living with the characters the best way i would describe this is if you're going into this blind you're resetting the deck for the characters and giving them something you still need all of the old stuff to inform you about what's going on here but you're not forcing plot and world building that's going to affect everything else too fast they stopped they focused on the important people that matter and i give them credit for it i think this was one of the best seasons and i i do think seven and i want to say three and seven are the best ones i mean I'm, everybody loves one and two i understand that but when you're trying to tell an overarching story and you're going years at a time trying to finish a story in a way that's going to be 15 years eventually at this point you do need some points to stop and reflect and that's really what this is about it's stopping and reflecting about your place in the world and what you're doing and seeing if you need to change or to steal your resolve against everybody who says that you should. So I would consider that a, a, a big success before they get into the meat of what's going to happen in Volume 10. So this was a good season. Uh, Ruby's now on Crunchyroll, so it should be easy to access for a lot of people, even if you had Rooster Teeth in the beginning. Um, definitely better than Ice Queendom, by far, you know, because it was OG content, and not by outside sources you know ice queendom had stuff but it just didn't have enough this was what it should have been and better but that'll do it for me and next week is the two-year podcast anniversary which is really saying something because again a lot of it has to just do with me wanting to do this but it is nice that hey it's an outlet for other things. I'm not just playing games. I'm reviewing things that I enjoy. And eventually I'll run out of things to talk about. But it's still a fun thing I want to do. And it's a, a way to express a lot of opinions that I can't do in a 20 or 30 minute episode or on a stream. So two years, you know, it, it's a nice, good, cool thing. Um, and the next game we do will be Bravely Default. Um, nice Final Fantasy-esque gameplay with a little bit of a screwball plot, to be honest. But it still has a lot going for it. And then, running into August, back into anime with Gungrave. Um, I'm a sucker for, like, down, hard-boiled, you know, crazy crime drama, crime thriller, bang-bang, shoot-em-up gang crime shit. This gives me that, but it also kind of veers into these weird monster mash movie things, which I'm not as well at. Um, the characters themselves are still impressive, so it's kind of like 
a lot of a good thing and a little bit of an annoyance midway through the show. And I will have to, you know, dial that in when I talk about it. I rewatched it about a month ago and it still holds up really well for something that was 20 some years at this point. But I'll get to that when I get to that. But for now, I will see you guys next time. Citizen Strive, signing off.